We're good? Good morning. Glad that you're able to join us. Sorry for the little delay there. Hopefully you are able to join us through our church website or through Facebook. Uh, just a quick reminder there, if you're watching through the web and you lose the picture or if it freezes, just hit refresh and that often helps with that. And if you're able, you could even switch from one to the other if there is an issue. And again, we're so grateful for all of our technology team and the hours they volunteer to help us. I want to call your attention just a couple of things as we begin. Uh, if you need uh, prayer or anything from uh, an elder or a minister, we are available. Uh, we are meeting every week um, through Zoom uh, and praying over the needs that you're bringing to our attention. And so we want you to know that, that we're available for you. Uh, and then also, as we mentioned last week and we'll stress again, uh, Barry England is available for counseling. Uh, so call him if you need help, if you need anything. He's available as well. And I encourage you also to check the bulletin email for some of the online classes for our children, for our teens, and even some of our adults are, are getting together. Um, there's also some details there if you are able to give, uh, how you can uh, make that contribution. Uh, tonight we're having home devotionals, and as we make our way through the Beatitudes tonight, we're talking about blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, and I hope you'll spend a few moments reflecting on that rich, rich challenge. Uh, and here's something I never thought I would say. Uh, our sewing ministry, our ladies, have masks available. And if you would like one, if you'll contact Faye Kinzer, uh, they'd be glad to share with our, our church family. Uh, let me share some good news. Congratulations to Michael and Catherine Marlin on the birth of their daughter, Marin May Marlin, born this morning at 339. Uh, share some of her uh, grandparents that are part of our church family also, David and Janet Bryant, Daryl Marlin, and then great-grandparents Mike and Sharon Green. Um, the word is that both mom and baby are doing very well. Also, good news, Jenna Bingham's dad, Todd Smith, uh, received good results from his pathology report. Uh, and so after his surgery, he will not need any further treatment, and we're grateful for that. And here's more good news. Rachel Thomas's family members who are dealing with the, the COVID-19 virus, uh, they're doing better. They're making progress. Her cousin's wife has been removed from the ventilator, and we praise God for, for all of that. Let me share the men who are helping us in our worship today. Uh, Chris Schrader will begin with our prayer and scripture reading. Uh, Perry Henniger will lead our communion thoughts. Uh, today we're going to conclude the series from Matthew 27 and 28 from the upper room to the empty tomb. So have your Bibles handy and you can follow along. And then we'll close with Tom Anderson, one of our elders, um, sharing a prayer at, at the end. Uh, from a personal note... Uh, I try to be a, a, a glass half full kind of person. I try to be positive and optimistic, but these uncertain days are challenging even for an optimist. Uh, I will tell you, the first Sunday I walked into this empty room, it hit me like a wave. What should have been full of life and joy and just sweet fellowship was an empty void, and it's hard. And so I know you're struggling, I'm struggling, uh, this is hard. Um, one day I was looking at the Facebook post later and I was seeing all the names scroll up and um, tears came and some of you commented the same uh, because we're supposed to be together. And so I think we're all missing that. Yet I will say studying 
Matthew 27 and 28 for these last several weeks, what Jesus went through from the upper room to the empty tomb, being betrayed and abandoned and falsely accused, uh, beaten nearly to the point of death, and then dying on the cross, I thought, how can I complain? So I hope this focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has been a blessing to you as well. And today, uh, even though we're not able to gather in person, we're going to celebrate the empty tomb, a place of victory. And what a victory it is. Let's worship our risen Lord. Scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24, verses 6 and 7. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Let's all pray together. Father God, creator of the universe, our sustainer, the one who loves us so much, Father. Uh, We come to you today on this Easter morning, Father, and we're so thankful that Jesus, your son, rose from the dead. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity that we all can be together this morning via technology, and you created ways that we can still worship with you, Father, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, Father God, we're, we're struggling through so many uncertain times right now. And Father, as a congregation, we know that amongst us there's things going on, whether uh, people that are in their homes by themselves, uh, financial issues with folks not knowing what tomorrow will bring, uh, emotional issues, uh, just maybe just getting on each other's nerves right now, Father. Father, we just pray that we'll all look to you every day. Father, I pray that we'll all lean into you hard. Father, I pray that we'll all realize that this is not going to last forever, hopefully, Father. And we pray that uh, when this is over, Father, that we all look forward to the day that we understand when you ask us to worship you together on the first day of the week, Father, that we have a renewed sense of loving each other stronger. And we understand the wisdom that you give us, Father, that fellowship brings together. And, Father, the power that we have together when when we worship you as one. Father, this is hard. And, Father, we know that that you love us. Father, we know that this is an earthly place. And we know, Father, that you're the giver of love and all that's good. And Father, just help us focus our minds on the light at the end of the tunnel, Father. Please help us to focus that when we're through this. We've learned things about ourselves. We've learned lessons, Father, that will help carry us through the next several years, Father. And Father, we hope that It renews our minds to realize that what matters in this earth, God, is is you 
we're not going to be here forever. And the time that we are here is fast, Father. Father, just help us to realize that every day is a gift. There's so many people sick right now with this disease. So many people that are going through things that are still sick with other things that can't get the help they need right now, Father. We just pray that you'll, you'll be with each and every one of them. Father, we just beg and beg of you, Father, that you give us strength and that you help us through this. And, Father, most of all, we're so thankful for your son, your son who took on the cross, your son that loved us enough to go through the agony that he went through, and your son that rose this day, that proved his truth, Father, to this day several thousand years later, Father, that nothing has changed, that we still get to come home with you in heaven one day. Father God, we thank you so much. And it's in your son's name we ask these blessings. In Christ's name. Amen.
Genesis, the 22nd chapter, we have recorded the incident in which God had commanded Abraham to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him there. The text says that God was testing Abraham, but it actually was more than that. It was a shadow of things to come. The test was followed by a covenant in which God says that uh, all nations will be blessed through his descendants. And ultimately we know that that involved Jesus. That covenant, that promise that was made, meant that in God's own time, that he would be willing to do what Abraham did that day. Abraham offered his son that day as a sacrifice And close to 2,000 years later, God would be offering his son as a sacrifice as well. It's so interesting to see the comparisons and see how all this plays out. Abraham brought his son on a donkey to that mountain, to Mount Moriah, to be sacrificed. Years later, God brought his son to that same mountain, also riding on a donkey. That... uh, day of that is what we refer to as Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday. Abraham placed the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac's shoulder and had him carry that up to the mount to the place of the sacrifice. 
And God had Jesus carry the cross, which was made of wood, to the place where he would be sacrificed to Calvary. Abraham put Isaac on the wood and bound him there. And God had Jesus bound to the cross with nails. Abraham lifted up his knife to kill Isaac, to sacrifice him, and he would have done so had it not been for the angel stopping him. Years later, God lifted up the knife of judgment. But this time, the angel did not stop the sacrifice, and so Jesus died. Why? There's only one reason that we've been able to come up with, and that's because of the great love that God has for us. In fact, I think it's ironic that Genesis 22 is the first time in Scripture that we see the word love. And here's how it's stated. God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. God took his only son, the son that he dearly loved, and sacrificed him for us. John puts it beautifully when he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because the Father was willing to sacrifice the Son that he loved so very, very much, simply tells us that he loves us just as much as he loves his Son. And because of that, we should never, ever question God's love for us. This is Easter Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. We observe the death and burial and resurrection every Sunday, but there's something special about this particular Sunday. But there's one other thing I want us to see in this story involving uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac. It's what's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if God If Isaac died, that God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. For all practical purposes, the text says that uh, Isaac was dead when Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice him. But when the angel stopped him, the text also is indicating that it was as though Isaac had been raised from the dead. And so it was. Years later, Jesus went to the cross, died there, was buried in a tomb, and then early Sunday morning, he arose. Today, we remember the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as we commune. And one of the things that we realize is that 2,000 years before it happened, 
we were told in an event involving Abraham and Isaac that this was going to take place. And here we are, 2,000 years removed from that event, celebrating and rejoicing that Jesus died and rose again. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we commune today, as we take this bread, we do so acknowledging that Jesus' body was sacrificed for us. We realize that he took our place, that it was our sins that put him there, but it was your love that allowed all this to happen and his love for us as well. And so as we take this bread, help us to remember the total and complete sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Dear Father, we also realize that Jesus' blood was shed in his death, and we just ask that you'll help us to appreciate the fact that he gave up his life and that his blood is the cleansing agent for our sins. May we reflect on that as we take this bread in Jesus' name, or this, this fruit of the vine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Today we celebrate the most important victory in history. 
the triumph of Jesus Christ over the grave. It's important because it happened only once. It's important because it impacts every person ever born. And it's important because it was a conquest over such a dreaded adversary. You know, when a sports team plays a lesser team and wins, there's not much celebration about that. But if you play a team that's your equal or even ranked better, well, that's quite a joy and that type of victory. Jesus' victory was over a formidable yet unbeaten foe. And that's why Easter Sunday is so important. In fact, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday and reason to celebrate. And we want to do that today. We're in Matthew chapter 28. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles. You can follow along. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 as it relates to this very powerful story. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, these women returned as soon as they could to finish preparing the body for burial. If you remember, when Jesus was crucified, they hurried the process along because they wanted to observe the Sabbath day. And so these women returned as soon as they could, Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel says, with spices to anoint the body. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, just before Jesus Christ had risen from the grave, the awesome power of God had entered that darkened tomb, had quickened the body that had been mutilated from the beating and the crucifixion, and Jesus was giving a new glorified body, able to penetrate walls and transcend time and space. See, the angel rolled back the stone, not so the women, not so Jesus could get out, because Jesus was already out. It was so, the, so the women could see inside. Verses 3 and 4. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. At the end of the chapter, Matthew relates how the guards in, uh, informed their religious leaders what had really happened, that they were knocked unconscious. But the religious leaders twisted that story. They weren't uh, quite okay with that. So they paid them money to say while they were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the body and then promised if word got back to the authorities that they would take care of them. So there was a conspiracy to cover up their resurrection right from the beginning. Verses 5 and 6. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. You know, we don't think of going to a tomb or, or a burial that does not have the remains. If you go to the tomb, you expect that's where the body was laid. It's a full grave. That's what makes it meaningful or special. For years, archaeologists learned little from the tombs of Egypt because the grave robbers had gotten there beforehand and took away all the contents. But that all changed when they found the tomb of King Tut with all the treasures intact and were able to learn so much about ancient Egypt because of that. In the case of Jesus Christ, we discover a very spiritual, important truth from an empty tomb. The angel continues, verse 6. Come, see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. These women had been so afraid for all they had witnessed are now filled with joy of this amazing discovery, and they ran to tell the disciples. One of the commentaries I was reading explained, in that day it was not dignified for an adult to run. You would rarely see a woman running. But these women were so ecstatic, so full of joy, they ran to tell the disciples. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Nothing really special about that word or that term. That's just a a normal way of of saying hello to someone that you would meet or come across. I kind of think about this when now that we're all confined at home and you do make it out for some essential errand and you see somebody, you know, you can't help but grin ear to ear. You're so happy to see somebody and say, hello, how are you? Are you doing okay? That's exactly what's going on here. They couldn't help but contain themselves Keep reading in verse 9. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Take note. These women were the first to see the empty tomb and the first to see our risen Lord. This empty tomb illustrates to this day that Jesus has triumphed over three of life's most dreaded foes. You may not have been listening to the lyrics of some of those songs as I was because I was thinking about these points, but it's what we sing about. It's what we, we mention in our prayers. It's what we read about in scriptures that Jesus was victorious over these dreaded foes. So if you want to take notes or if you've got the outline from your bulletin, the first is this, Jesus gained victory over death. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And death is one of man's most hated enemies. When Sam Walton died at age 74, his net worth was $8.6 billion. But all that money was not enough to defeat leukemia and bone marrow cancer. Because first, death is a universal enemy. It takes rich and poor, athlete and artist, men, women, boy, girl, We've heard of all kinds of statistics about coronavirus, uh, the ratio of, of one country versus another and, and those that, that get the, the, the virus and, and how many have died and how many have recovered. Well, the death ratio is one-to-one. It's one-to-one. Everyone dies. It's a universal enemy. Number two, it's a feared enemy. Some people are so terrified of death, they won't talk about it. They won't buy life insurance. They won't make end-of-life decisions. Hebrews 2.15 says that Jesus will deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Some people think this is why some people have a fascination with disaster movies. It's like they, they live vicariously through these people who are facing imminent death. They wonder what it's like to be on the verge of dying or to be on the airplane when the engine goes out or be in your house and there's some crazy person outside with a chainsaw. Some way it helps them to, to feel like they're, they're going through the same thing. Number three, death is a vicious enemy. It may not be the actual dying that we're afraid of, but the process of death 
that leads up to it. Some of you have sat bedside with someone you love going through the process of dying and know how difficult that can be. The body is failing and they're struggling to breathe, sometimes writhing in pain. It's horrible and it's not unusual for, for those who love that person so much to say, how much longer? You wish they would go ahead and die because the process, such a savage enemy. And then number four, death can be a sneaky enemy too. So often death has no warning, sudden car accident, no chance to say goodbye or to make end of life preparations. Death can happen to an infant as well as the elderly, to the healthy as well as the sick. First Samuel 23, David said, there is only a step between me and death. Here's another, death is a constant enemy too. The aging process is a nagging reminder that our earthly house is wearing out. Our strength goes, arthritis comes, our eyesight grows dim, our mind starts to slip. And as we age, we have this constant reminder that we're moving closer and closer to death, that we're not intended to live forever, this constant reminder. Maybe that's why we celebrate when we read the news about an 80 or 90-year-old person being able to run a marathon. Why we're so shocked when a baby dies or a toddler dies or even a 20-year-old who otherwise is healthy, dies of pneumonia. Some people are more graceful as they age, but all of us age, and it reminds us that death is coming. But the great news of the empty tomb is that Jesus has conquered the enemy of death. At age 33, our Lord endured the most horrific death imaginable. The Gospel of Matthew has walked us through that. For three days, his body laid in the tomb But early that morning, on the first day of the week, Jesus came out of the grave. And it's the best thing that could have ever happened for all of us. Look at the powerful words Paul wrote to young Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished it. He destroyed it. It's not just a marginal victory. He broke the power of death forever. And the good news of Jesus' experience is that it paves the way for us also to be victorious. He rose again so we could rise again. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by man came death... By a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus' resurrection was not a biological exception or oddity to never happen again. It is going to happen again. That's the good news. Jesus promised eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live Have you ever been told that possums are smart animals? We don't think of that because when we think of possums, we usually think about them being dead in the middle of the road, which I have to say, you know why the chicken crossed the road? To show the possum it could be done. But possums are smart animals. I read they will not enter a hole if there's only one set of tracks going into the hole because they know there's good chance that there is an animal in there that will devour them. 
But they will look and notice, and if there are tracks going into a hole and out of the hole, then they'll go into that hole without fear. The message of the resurrection is that we do not have to fear death. There's tracks coming out of the empty tomb. 1 Corinthians 15, 48 quotes Isaiah. You're familiar with this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. It's a word we read about in the Bible. It's a word that finds its way into a lot of our songs of worship. Victory in Jesus. In his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, Tony Campolo tells about a very unusual funeral that happened at his church. It's a predominantly black church in, in Philadelphia. A friend of the preacher by the name of Clarence had been killed in a construction accident. And so the place was packed. All of his friends had just filled the house. But in the eulogy, the preacher left the podium, the stage, and went down by the casket and started talking directly to Clarence as though he was alive. He would say, Clarence, there's so many things that we should have told you while, we were, while you were alive. And so he started rattling off these wonderful things that everybody loved about Clarence, one after another. And then he finally said, Clarence, I just have one more thing to say to you. Good night. And with that, he reached up and he grabbed the coffin lid and slammed it closed. And that was the cue for the choir to start singing. In that great getting up morning, we shall rise, we shall rise. In that great getting up morning, we shall rise. He turned to the stunned crowd and smiled saying, I know that Clarence is going to give, the Lord is going to give Clarence a good morning. And with that, the whole crowd stood up and started singing. In that great getting up morning, we shall rise, we shall rise. In that great getting up morning, we shall rise. Campolo wrote, that funeral service was a celebration because they knew that Clarence would live again. He had won the victory. Death had been swallowed up in victory. Well, number two, the empty tomb signified that Jesus was victorious over hell. Nobody wants to talk about hell, especially on Easter Sunday, right? Because hell is controversial, it's an unpleasant subject, we know that. But victory doesn't mean anything if it's not over a potent enemy. I believe it was Henry Nowen speaking at Yale University years ago, explained it like this. The very term good news implies such a thing as bad news. The very proclamation of salvation presupposes a state of being lost. Hell is the dark background in which the brilliant picture of the gospel was painted. But without the background, you have no picture. Without an enemy, there is no victory. Surveys tell us that about 50% of the American people believe in a literal hell. I looked it up the years, that number is trending downward. Why should we believe in hell? Let me give you two reasons. I believe in hell because, number one, the Bible teaches about it. I wish the Bible didn't teach it. I wish it wasn't true. You ever wish the Bible would say that when you died, you would just cease to exist? But the Bible mentions hell 54 times. And Jesus, our Lord, mentioned hell more than he talked about heaven. 
He called it a place of fire, torment, darkness, thirst, second death, weeping, eternal, gnashing of teeth, separation. Very dark words to describe the reality of hell. But here's the second reason why I think we need to believe in hell. Justice demands it. Do you think it's right for Adolf Hitler to exterminate six million Jews and then die by suicide and never have to pay for his wrongs? Is that just? Are you you good with that? Do you think it's justice for a man to cheat in his business, make millions of dollars, maybe be unfaithful to his wife, abuse his children, and then attend worship deceiving people thinking that he's this godly person, and then die at a ripe old age and never have to pay the consequences of all of his wrongs? Is that just? Is that right? The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Henry Van Dyke said, it is better to be sobered by the saddest fact than to be deluded by the merriest lie. See, the problem is not that we don't fear death, is that we don't believe in hell anymore. We don't think there's gonna be a consequence The people who don't fear death are the ones who are selling drugs to our children, raping our women, robbing our homes, polluting our TVs and screens with all kinds of filth. The most loving thing we can do is to tell people the truth about consequences. Here's the reality. We are all sinners. All of us. Romans 3, 22 and 23. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is I'm more like Hitler than I am Jesus. And I must pay for my sins. So must you. Unless there's another way. And that way is Jesus. The great news of the empty tomb is that Jesus went to the cross and died on our behalf. You know, when he was on the cross, and we didn't talk about this a lot in our study of Matthew, but there are these sayings, and the last thing that Jesus said, not many, but the last thing he said was, it is finished. It is finished, accomplished. The victory was won. And when he came out of that tomb, he demonstrated that death and hell were defeated. We don't have to pay for the consequences anymore. That's why it's so victorious. We have the assurance of an empty tomb. We have the promise that we can live with God for eternity. Perry read John 3, 16. You know the verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17. But God did not send his son into the the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You get that? The bad news perish. The good news, you may be saved. Oral Hershiser played 18 seasons, Major League Baseball. He became a Christian after a conversation with Butch Wickensheimer, also a ball player. Butch asked Oral one day, Oral, do you believe in heaven? And Oral just quickly replied, well, sure, I believe in heaven. That's where good people go. But Oral was stunned at what Butch said next. No, Oral, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Big difference. 
Oral had come to believe a lie from the evil one that so many believe that you just be a good person and that's enough. But it's only the forgiven ones. And we're forgiven only through the death of Jesus Christ. And we get our hope when we surrender our life to him. And that brings me to number three. The empty tomb announced the victory over sin. Sin is public enemy number one. John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And sin is that slave. It enslaves our minds. It enslaves our bodies. Newspaper reported years ago, UPS was sued by a woman who had contracted herpes. Woman and a man were both employees at UPS. They had a policy you were not to date other employees. Well, the couple dated in secret and the woman became infected, so she took UPS to court saying they were guilty of not enforcing their policy more strictly. Isn't that something? Ludicrous. See, what's our country coming to? Our society is so messed up. We no longer know right from wrong. We no longer want to take responsibility for our behavior. It's always somebody else's fault. We blame the other. We deny it. We make light of it. But sin is a gruesome enemy. It doesn't just knock us down. It doesn't just hold us back. Jesus said it enslaves us. And that is so true. Nearly every problem in our society is rooted back in our own heart, in our individual sin. Ask any teacher what's wrong with our educational system, and they'll tell you. It's not a lack of funds. It's a lack of ability of students to be able to pay attention. They're not taught to respect authority. It goes back to sin problem. Why do we have so many broken homes, so many dysfunctional families? It's the sin of selfishness, adultery, greed. Even when our economy flourishes, it's not without problems. You've got the greed of big business, and you also have the sin of laziness and envy of those who won't work. Why do we have drug problems, alcohol problems? It's the sin of self-indulgence. Why are jails overcrowded? Why does racism continue to exist? Why do abortion clinics still thrive? The root cause is the human heart. And the Bible says it's deceitful and cannot be trusted. We're going to talk about that more in our home devotionals tonight. But here's the great news. Jesus, when he came out of the tomb, he defeated sin. And this is something we need to be reminded of. He took upon himself every sin known to man, every vicious blow that sin could inflict. He took it. Because the Bible says he died sinless. And he rose from the dead completely alive in a well. And I'm always amazed how he allowed his disciples to touch him. Touch my scars. See. It's real. He was alive and well. Steve Brown said on Friday, evil won. But on Sunday, evil died. See, the good news is that he cannot just change us. The good news of the gospel, the good news of the empty tomb is that we can have a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in, creation, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you become a child of God, when you become a Christian, when you confess Jesus is the Son of God, 
when you repent and turn from your sins, when you have them washed away in baptism, he doesn't just save you from the consequences of your sin and promise eternal life. Yes, you get those, but he also gives you the power to overcome sin. One of the paradoxes of the Christian life is in order to claim victory, you must admit defeat. We die to self to live to Christ. We lose our former self to become a new creation. We leave our last persona to become a new identity, to gain a new identity. We admit defeat to gain victory, but we can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Completely committed followers of Jesus will tell you that Christ changed them. It wasn't overnight, and he continues to change them. For most of us, I think that happens gradually. It's not an immediate makeover. Yes, we make that decision, and, and yes, we're a new creation, but we recognize it's a daily battle, and we win most of them, but sometimes we do lose or slip up. Followers of Jesus are not part of his, part of his church because we think we're better than others. We acknowledge our sin, and we know the only way we can make it is to have his transforming power. When we follow Jesus, his Holy Spirit gives us the power that we don't have, power to mature, power to become selfless, power to look out for the needs of others over yourself, power to forgive when you've been wronged, power to be faithful even in trying times, power to turn the other cheek or go the second mile power to be victorious but you will be tested Corrie ten Boom spent time in a Nazi concentration camp because her family harbored Jewish refugees she experienced unbelievable torture and humiliation her sister Betsy died at Ravensbrück concentration camp Years later, Corey ten Boom was speaking at a gathering in Germany. She looked out into the audience, and there sat a former Nazi guard from Ravensbrück. She knew that he did not recognize her, but she knew him. He had so humiliated her and her sister. She despised him. She was convinced it was him. Afterwards, the guard, the former guard, came up to her and said, Fraulein, you mentioned Ravensbrook. I was there too. Isn't it wonderful that God can forgive us of all our sins? And then he stuck out his hand and said, Would you forgive me also? Corey Tim Boom said, I could not look at him in the eyes. I could not shake his hand because of the bitterness that was within me. But it was though I heard the voice of the Father say, Just lift your arm, Corey. Out of obedience, I lifted my arm. And when his hand touched mine, it was though the healing oil of God's power flowed through me to heal me of my bitterness. And I was able to forgive. 
she said it took the power of God in all my years of Christian growth to be able to forgive. Only Jesus Christ can transform people like that. It may take time and effort, but if we choose to give our life to Jesus, to be that completely committed follower, he will transform you and he will give you victory over sin. And you'll have like a new family and new relationships. He's transforming hearts one at a time. And think about what would happen if more people did that, just gave their heart to Jesus and his transforming power. Our businesses, our communities, our nation, our homes would all be better. And this is the victory that's overcome the world our faith. That's our only hope. When little Martha Taft introduced herself to her grade school class in Cincinnati, she said this, my name is Martha Bowers Taft. My great-grandfather was president of the United States. My grandfather was a United States senator. My father is an ambassador to Ireland and I am a brownie. Maybe you and I don't look like much. Maybe we don't have the important titles. And no doubt all of us have some maturing to do. But we have an amazing heritage in our spiritual family. You are a child of God. And our Heavenly Father is the creator of this universe. He came down to heaven in the form of Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to rise again on the third day, to give us victory over sin and death and hell. John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's why we celebrate the empty tomb, the ultimate victory. Again, I said at the beginning, if we can pray for you in any way, reach out to any minister, any elder, we'd be glad to help you and encourage you. Or if you get to the point or you know someone who's ready to be baptized, you let us know. We'll gladly help them to make that decision. This book to worship our God. And while we haven't been able to be in this room physically together to celebrate the victory that is ours through Jesus, we remember that one day we will celebrate that victory in a room that he has prepared for us. And we'll celebrate that together. For we remember that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, 
you may be also. We remember that passage. But there's one other thing about that. Those words that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He repeated them again later in the chapter. And I want to read that verse to you now. In verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In these unprecedented times, the peace that God gives us, the comfort that comes through His Son, is an important framework and foundation for our lives as we continue through these unprecedented and difficult times. But we must remember these unmutable truths. God loves us. He cares for us. He sent His Son to die for us. And He resurrected that Son that we might live. Would you bow with me? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His blood that saves us. We thank you for his resurrection that gives us victory. It is through him that we pray. Amen.